Next Sunday, we begin our journey through Advent, to the blessed coming of our Lord Jesus Christ at His birth on Christmas. And just like with any penitential season, the church always gives us either a week or some weeks to prepare for the journey through such a penitential blessed season where God desires to do such healing in our souls if we'll follow Him along that journey. And today is this called the Sunday next before Advent. This is our day where our Lord sets the framework for our journey through Advent, reminding us of all that He longs to do, but also reminding us of the great gifts that He's given us to join Him and be yoked to Him through that journey so that we might see the healing work that He desires to do. A great work of release in all of us and a granting of great joy that we might see it come to fruition by our cooperation with Him, our fellowship with Him. So let's remember what the season of Advent is all about. The word Advent, and we've heard this year after year, but it's good to be reminded of the meaning of things. The word Advent literally means the coming of someone. The coming, the advent of someone is the coming of someone. In this case, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And His church remembers His coming in two parallel ways from two different perspectives all at once. One is a perspective of remembrance from something that has already happened, made present to us in the now for our salvation. And the other is the perspective of anticipation. So for example, by true remembrance, by the grace of God, we enter into the very longing of all creation. The longing that the fallen world had for the Redeemer, for the Messiah, for the Word of God to come on this earth and restore all things back as they were in creation, making them new again. This is why we sang the hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. There was an anticipation, a yearning in all of creation to be redeemed from the fall, to be brought back to its original state. And we enter into that longing through Advent to be fulfilled at His birth at the coming of the Messiah. So in remembrance, we remember His coming. But with anticipation, what do we remember? His coming again. We know that our Lord Jesus Christ will come and when He comes, He will gather every soul living and dead. Those already with Him and those in the graves, all will go to meet Him. And will stand before the great judgment seat of God. Which is why here on the Sunday next before Advent you heard in the Matins reading the gospel from St. Matthew. Of the parable of the sheep and the goats giving us the absolute picture of what that day will be like when he returns. For he will come back. And he will judge with perfect justice the souls of every man and woman ever created. And to the sheep, those who are his, those who have grown to look like him more and more throughout their lives. So recognize them and say, you're my sheep, enter into paradise. So this is Advent, the coming of Christ, the coming at his birth and his second coming. His second coming. We keep, as we've spoken about in recent weeks, when we consider his second coming, we are keeping and told to keep our mortality right before us. We are to live our lives every day as sons and daughters of the living God. We are to live our lives 
as though we are making sure every day we have plenty of oil in our lamps so that when the bridegroom returns, the light shines and we see him and he sees us and we go to him as his bride and go into the great wedding feast. That's how we are to live. And what is the lifestyle of every Christian that the church teaches us make sure that we have oil in our lamps? It is the daily life of repentance that comes from fellowship with God. And again, every time in this day and age we say the word repentance, we hear the truth here all the time about the reality of repentance. But it's always good to hear it from the church again and again. And when I did this retreat in Jacksonville, Texas, I was reminded of, quite frankly, what is one of my favorite father's teachings on the definition of repentance. And if you listen to what this precious father has to say, he truly sums up what repentance truly is in the life of a Christian. And that father is St. John Climacus, otherwise known as St. John of the Ladder. He was a monk at the monastery of St. Catherine, uh, much of his journey. That monastery is located at the base of Mount Sinai and is still there to present day. And he was a monastic there. Listen to his talk voice. Really, it's the voice of our Lord telling us what true repentance is. He says, to repent is not to look downward at my shortcomings, but upward towards God's love. It's not to look backwards with self-reproach, but forward with trustfulness in what God can do. It is to see not what I failed to be, but what by the grace of God I may yet become. See, if you have in your mind this constant shaming definition of repentance, that repentance is I see what I truly am and therefore I run and hide from God because I'm too ashamed to go before him, too ashamed to make that offering to him that he can touch it and heal it. You're not grasping the repentance given by the Holy Spirit. You're grasping the condemnation of Satan. True repentance is a response to the love of God. True repentance is God placing before us what by His grace is actually attainable and getting us there. It's looking forward to things we've always hoped to be, but because of our flesh have never been able to become yet. Repentance grants hope, not shame. You hear that? Yes. Keep that in your souls. In fact, our introit, our introit today that the choir sung at the beginning of Mass shares the very heart of God over you. As we enter into this penitential season. And the words of the introit actually come from the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 29. He offers us the heart of God as we enter into this season so that we know it truly and fully. The prophet Jeremiah speaks, thus saith the Lord. I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Thoughts of peace and not affliction. You shall call upon me, and I will bring you out of captivity. The Lord doesn't reveal to us by His great love the things that are killing us within ourselves and destroying our relationship with Him and our relationship with one another. Barricades to our becoming the love of God is. He doesn't stir it up and show us this to condemn us. It's because He has great and grand thoughts for every one of His children. 
He knows what you can become. And He knows that if you will walk with Him, giving in to this repentance and, and bringing to Him the things that He shows you, He knows the blessing it's going to be to you to be freed from these things. He knows the joy that comes from becoming the truly created human that He created in the very beginning. This is the heart of God, and we hear it through the prophet Jeremiah, even in this mass sung at the introit. You see, penitential seasons, every penitential season, if we look at the truth of their real purpose, they're to realign us to our true self. They're to realign us to the God who can make us our true self. And as we engage spiritual disciplines, they increase our fellowship with Him, our desperate need for Him. And in those moments, our God is faithful to show up and to grant us and give us everything that our soul needs to overcome these deficiencies and these dysfunctions. That's what the penitential season is all about, to really give us the correct framework of our, what should be our daily Christian walk in between the blessed penitential seasons. Which is why in the collect prayer for this very Mass, as we prepare for Advent, listen to the prayer we pray. Stir up the wills of thy faithful people, that they, plenteously bringing forth the fruit of good works. What good works? The good works of Christ and His kingdom. May by thee be plenteously rewarded. And I don't know if you notice this, but in that prayer, it's using language and description, word description of a harvest. That something might be produced within us that produce a harvest of fruit of good works, the good works of Christ. But let's remember something about a harvest. It doesn't magically appear every year. The sun doesn't just rise and boom, everything shoots up and there's the harvest. A harvest takes a little effort. A harvest takes some work. You see, during this penitential season of Advent, what our Lord is really calling us to do, to go back to this example, because it's another one of harvesting. He's inviting us very stringently, very openly. He's inviting us to take His yoke upon us. Because if we are in that blessed yoke where He is the strong ox and we are the weak one, and we're side by side, what do the oxen pull? A plow. And what does the plow do? It breaks up the fallow ground. Because the work of producing a harvest, there's a multiple levels of it. The first is the breaking up of fallow ground. The fallow ground is that soil that's cluttered and filled with stuff. And it's not healthy soil. Nothing will be able to grow in this soil. Until it's churned up and the good soil comes to the surface. But even then that soil has to be watered. And there needs to be nutrients that get into that soil. And so we work. We till the soil. We make it healthy. But then the seed of the Holy Spirit. Now it can be planted. But even after the seed is planted. There's watering that must be done. There is a constant cooperation with the earth. In order to produce the great harvest in the same way as we're yoked to Christ. There is cooperative work to be done by the grace of God from our lives to work with Him for what harvest? The blessed harvest of the nature of God growing within us and from that nature, the good works of Christ coming through us. There is no couch potato Christian that is made whole. 
It is all through relationship and cooperation with that blessed relationship of a very real and living and loving God. And so I want to remind us today, our Lord Jesus Christ has given us tools for the harvesting process. He gives us three main spiritual disciplines to cooperate with him in. That if we do, we will reap that harvest that he so desires come through us. So let's remind ourselves of these three different disciplines. The first is fasting. We increase, we fast during penitential seasons. We fast during Advent. We deny ourselves full portions of meals that we're used to and certain kinds of food that we're used to eating. What we thought we once needed. And we come to the reality through that sacrifice and we put it away that somehow at the end of the day, we're still breathing by the, grace, by the grace of God. We're still living and in fact, fellowship could be growing between us and Him. We didn't really and truly need all that we were receiving, we just thought we needed it. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit that's born through fasting is the blessed fruit so critical to our lives and our health of our soul. And the blessed fruit of the Holy Spirit born through fasting, my friends, is self-control. Something every last one of us lacks to varying degrees in our lives. Because, my friends, the church teaches us that if we can have self-control over how much we eat and over what portions we eat of those things and what we eat, if we can have self-control disciplining ourselves in that, that the Holy Spirit will touch that offering we give and he will grant us self-control so that now we have self-control over all of those things, all of those distractions, all of those things that entice us and attract us away from God. If we can have self-control in this, God grows our self-control to say no to Satan every day of our lives, just as Christ did in his, after his fast, overcame Satan on our behalf. So it will be in our lives. And don't forget the second tool of our harvesting process through this time, because they go together. Increased prayer. Increased time of fellowship with God. Fasting and increased prayer must go together. Without increased prayer, you've heard me say this, fasting simply gives you discomfort in your stomach, and that's it. If all we do is go through the rules, but forget the one invitation of God inviting us to come and spend time with Him. To yearn for Him out of what we're feeling in our bodies. God's desire is not that you hurt in your stomach. God desires that He becomes all in all in your life and your whole being goes to peace. And so we increase our prayers. And when our increased fellowship happens with fasting. Well, let me let St. Basil tell you the result of fasting in the Christian life. St. Basil says this, Fasting accompanied with prayer gives birth to prophets and strengthens the strong. Fasting makes lawgivers wise. Fasting is a good safeguard for the soul. A steady, a steadfast companion for the body. A weapon of the valiant. And a gymnasium for spiritual athletes. Fasting repels temptations. And it anoints us unto holiness. It is the comrade of watchfulness and the craftsman of chastity. I want you to understand chastity. 
How many of you, just think about this in your hearts, how many of you long for innocency to be restored? Prayer and fasting, by the grace of God, can absolutely restore that sense and reality of innocency in the soul. To be like a blessed child made whole again before the Father. Fasting in war fights bravely and in peace, he says, it teaches stillness. And so we pray and we fast. And the third tool that our Lord gives us to the product producing of the harvest from within us is increased almsgiving. And so often, and perhaps partly my fault for not keeping this more strongly before you, the importance of the blessedness of almsgiving. As we pray and we fast and we draw near to God, He reveals on Himself to us. And one of the things that He reveals is how He is the God of love who is complete self-offering for the benefit of others. And the way that we become this is through the spiritual discipline of almsgiving. I want to read to you a German theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Listen to what he says about this. About what can happen and what ought to happen as we see the suffering and needs of others and do something about it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, Christ comes to us in the form of a beggar. Of the dissolute human child in ragged clothes asking for help. He confronts you in every person you meet. As long as there are people, Christ will walk the earth as your neighbor. And let me let St. John Chrysostom expound from the voice of the church fathers on that same sentiment. Who says, lift up and stretch out your hands, not to heaven, but to the poor. For if you stretch out your hands to the poor, you have reached the summit of heaven. But if you lift up your hands in prayer without sharing to the poor, it's worth nothing. Every family, he says, should have a room where Christ is welcomed in the person of the hungry and thirsty stranger. The poor are a greater temple than the sanctuary. The poor are an altar that you can raise up anywhere on any street and offer the liturgy at any hour. He's saying Christ dwells in the poor. We have the absolute potential every time we see the suffering to see the very face of Christ. And every time we give to relieve that suffering, we experience the joy of Christ and the joy of the person being relieved of their suffering. And that will grow your faith like you cannot imagine. And I applaud the fact that so many of us turn in checks that produce the necessities given to those who are suffering. And I applaud the food that you all bring in. I do not want that to stop. It is a godly and righteous thing. I want to ask you to stretch beyond this advent. And I want you to get the blinders off of your eyes to those people around you. And I'll look around you and start seeing Christ in the ones who are around you. And I want you to look to see if God draws you to someone who is suffering. And I, I invite you, and our Lord invites us, step into their suffering and walk with them for a moment. Find out what their need is and meet the need of someone tangible. 
meet the need of someone who you can see Christ in their eyes. If you will trust our Lord and trust these words that I'm telling you and offering from Him, you'll experience Him in a way you probably haven't in a very long time. That's the spiritual discipline of almsgiving that grants us the experience of Christ that heals and transforms the soul. And please, of course, during the season of Advent, with all of this going on and engaging all three of these tools that the Holy Spirit has given His church, do not neglect the blessed sacrament of confession and absolution. Because as you're yoked to Christ and plowing up all of that ground, all of that hard ground, you're going to see things come to the surface that need to be removed. And it's only in that blessed sacrament is the fullness of the grace and the mercy of God that heals and delivers you from those things and creates that blessed, healthy soil for the seed of the Holy Spirit. My friends, those who will put their hand to the harvest plow in their own souls, as we've described today, because it's the way of the church given by the Holy Spirit. Those who do, at the coming of Christ, both at His birth and at His second coming, you cannot fathom the profound joys that will fill your life because of the cooperation you have done and the work of Christ that He's honored you in as you've cooperated with Him, that He'll grant to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.